Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. Today is Wednesday. It is the 17th of May. This is Here First from IPR News. I'm Clay Masters. Governor Kim Reynolds signed a bill into law yesterday that increases criminal penalties for crimes related to selling fentanyl and other illegal drugs. It also allows law enforcement agencies, fire departments, schools, and healthcare workers to distribute opioid overdose reversal drugs to Iowans. Reynolds says Iowa had a 45% increase in opioid overdose deaths from 2019 to 2020, and even bigger spike in Iowans under 25. She blames the Biden administration's handling of the U.S.-Mexico border for the influx of fentanyl-laced pills. We can't fix the border crisis um, ourselves or force the Biden administration to care, but we can take a stand by treating, treating fentanyl crimes as the atrocities they are, and that is exactly what this bill does. The new law combines Reynolds' bill with a proposal from Attorney General Brenna Byrd. It passed the legislature with bipartisan support, but Democrats also called for other strategies to prevent overdoses. Reynolds says she does not support legalizing test strips that allow people to check if drugs are spiked with fentanyl. The next leader of Iowa's largest school district is a superintendent from Pennsylvania. IPR's Grant Gerlach has more on the change coming for Des Moines Public Schools. After a closed search for a new superintendent, the Des Moines School Board chose Ian Roberts from Mill Creek Township Schools in Erie, Pennsylvania, where he's been superintendent for nearly three years. Roberts also has experience leading charter schools in multiple states and as an administrator at public schools in St. Louis and Baltimore. Board Chair Terry Caldwell-Johnson says he stood out for his work on school improvement and equity in education. He is a proven champion for creating equitable opportunities for all students to thrive and is dedicated to ensuring that focus is a central part of his work here in Des Moines. Roberts is the first person of color to lead the district and its 30,000 students. Around 30 percent of Des Moines students are Latino and 20 percent are black. And I should note, Des Moines Public Schools is an underwriter of IPR. After nearing its previous record stage, the Mississippi River is receding back into its banks. IPR's Zachary Orrin-Smith tells us the city's effort to keep waters back seems to have worked. Tim Baldwin was there in 2019 when the floodwaters inundated buildings in downtown Davenport like his own. Four years later, he says even at its 21-and-a-half-foot crest, he was feeling pretty confident in the work the city had done to keep blocks like his safe. You know, we had no worries at all that that wall was going to fail. You know, we saw it creep up to, uh, you know, one of its highest points we've ever seen it creep up on that wall before. And uh, there was a lot of wall left to go. Um, We could have handled a lot more water, I think. And uh, again, no concerns whatsoever. Even while his restaurant, Front Street Brewery and Taproom didn't have damage, he says road closures limited traffic to the downtown, even though they stayed open. He says he's counting on the Big 7 road race and the 50th Rag Bride to help recoup costs. And the Waterloo City Council has passed a new ordinance that bans conversion therapy for minors and sets up a way for residents to file complaints against health professionals who are suspected of practicing it. Conversion therapy is a practice aimed at changing an individual's sexual orientation or gender identity. It's used in some cases to try to convert gay and lesbian people to heterosexuality. 
Council member Jonathan Greider was the chief sponsor of the ordinance. He says it was an important move for the council to make, especially after state laws targeting LGBTQ people were passed this legislative session. It's also important that I as a leader and that we as a leading body in the city council showcase that we are not willing to utilize other people's status and gin up fear about that status, but rather we want to welcome everyone. Greider says there are concerns that some community members are practicing conversion therapy. Waterloo is the third local government in Iowa to pass a ban. There is no statewide ban. This is Here First from IPR News. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. University of Iowa research engineer Chris Jones is abruptly retiring. He spent years researching and writing about Iowa's water quality. Before his time at the UI, he worked for the Iowa Soybean Association and Des Moines Waterworks. Jones has a new book out this week. It's called The Swine Republic, Struggles with the Truth About Agriculture and Water Quality. The book is largely a collection of essays that first appeared on his University of Iowa blog as an effort to explain to the general public how Iowa's politics, economics, and culture affect Iowa water quality. As academics, we really are good at talking to each other. Here in the modern day, we've sort of forgot how to talk to general audiences. And so general audiences, uh, the taxpayer, they're the ones that pay for the work that we do, and they should have an expectation that we bring that information to them in an understandable way. But his writings have led to controversy over funding for the stream monitoring system he has run. Jones says two Republican senators pressed the university to halt his blog by insinuating that university funding was at risk. One of the senators, Dan Zumba of Ryan, denied this allegation to the Iowa Capitol Dispatch, calling it potentially defamatory. I talked to Jones about the Swine Republic last week, and I asked him to assess where Iowa's water quality is 10 years after the state introduced the nutrient reduction strategy. That's a list of practices farmers can implement voluntarily to keep pollution out of Iowa's waterways. In terms of our nutrient pollution, no, things have not changed. Now, can we find improvements in places? Sure. I'm not saying there have been no improvements, but in terms of our statewide uh, loss of nitrogen and phosphorus to our streams, uh, no, they it has not improved. And so this line that you hear all the time from politicians and others in industry, the nutrient strategy is working, and it's just become sort of ridiculous and trite. But the thing I tell people is you need to understand the primary objective of the nutrient strategy was not to clean up the water. The primary objective of the nutrient strategy was to convince EPA not to regulate nutrient pollution in the Mississippi River Basin like they do in the Chesapeake Bay area where the federal government and the state governments have taken a regulatory approach. Here there was a great uh, trepidation that uh, that same approach would be taken in the Mississippi River Basin. And so the nutrient strategy was meant to serve as a sort of totem, if you will, that, look, we're trying to do something. This doesn't need to be regulated. 
And so that was the objective of the nutrient strategy uh, to begin with. And so in that context, the nutrient strategy has worked. It's worked splendidly for uh, industry in preventing the federal government from regulating this here. You lay out that a, a criticism that regularly gets lobbed your way is that you're frustrated and you're not talking about solutions. And, and you do lay out a number of solutions in the book, spoiler alert, I guess, but you know, ban fall tillage to ban manure on frozen ground, stop farming in the two-year floodplain, and uh, make farmers adhere to the ISU nitrogen application, as well as rewriting the master matrix, which has to do with a confined animal feeding mm -hmm. operations. How would you get that meaningful regulation in this state? Well, I think we have to look at the uh, morality, if you will, of our existing policy. And so our existing policy gives farmers license to do basically whatever they want on their land. At the same time, the taxpayer subsidizes the system through various programs, both federal and state programs. And then we also are asked to pay to mitigate the pollution and in my estimation, that's morally bankrupt policy. And so farmers, uh, by and large, are not poor people in Iowa, okay? And we ask people of lesser income and lesser means to fund all this stuff, and I just think it's wrong. And so I think we need an understanding of the uh, workings of the existing policy, firstly. And so there's common sense things we know that we could do now that would improve water quality now. And so fall tillage, for example, uh, any drive across the countryside this past winter, you saw wind erosion. It was the worst I've ever seen it. And so the, the dirt and the snow drifts and the ditches. Um, and so would banning fall tillage work? Of course it would work. It would work to reduce uh, wind erosion. And so when you see people on industry and uh, in politics say, well, regulation wouldn't work. Well, sure, it wouldn't work for farmers, <laughs> right? It's not going to work for farmers, but would it work for the common good? Of course it would. And these things cost the taxpayer nothing. So the nutrient reduction strategy in 2013 came along. And then in 2015, there was a very high profile lawsuit that the Des Moines Water Works put forward that you uh, bring up in this book. It was ultimately failed in the courts. But how do you see, as you're leaving your post at the University of Iowa, how do you see water quality continue to be a conversation that takes place? Well, I think we're really at a crossroads here uh, with our production systems, and that's because uh, ethanol seems to be on its way out. I mean, it's, it's clear that it's going to die sometime. I think the question is, is that sometime going to be in five years or is it going to be in 30 years? And so we have an enormous amount of our, la our land in production for corn to produce ethanol. And so what are we going to do with that land moving forward? We need to be talking about that now, right now. And so what can we transition those acres to that would help farmers retain uh, prosperity, um, but at the same time help us get the environmental outcomes that we want? We need to be talking about that now. This day is coming when ethanol is going away. This is the best opportunity we've ever had to modify the system to help it deliver the environmental outcomes that we want. Chris Jones, thank you. You're welcome, Clay. Thank you. 
That's author Chris Jones. His book, The Swine Republic, Struggles with the Truth About Agriculture and Water Quality, comes out on Friday. This is Here First from IPR News. I'm Clay Masters. Mm-hmm.